When my daughter, who's in college studying library and information science, told me that Alabama and Mississippi were the very first states in the United States to establish a State Department of Archives and History, my immediate reaction was, what were they up to? So join me for today's Belonging in the South, a Guide for Misfits episode, where I'm going to tell you about this history and the legend of the lost cause of the Confederacy that allowed Jim Crow and white supremacist ideology to rule in the South for so long and how it's affected so many Southerners' ability to flourish and belong. Hello, everyone. I'm Rebecca Lauderdale, and I'm a lifelong Southerner, a physician, a mom, a wife, and lots of other things. And I'm fascinated by the concept of human belonging, and especially by the ways that people who are unique and different are able to find belonging without changing who they truly are. I believe that the world is a better place when all of us can flourish. So you might be wondering how the topic of the lost cause of the Confederacy and the archives of the southern states have anything to do with the mission of this podcast. But um, I think it's going to become clear to you as I tell it. The 50,000-foot view is that state-sponsored misinformation perpetuated Jim Crow and white supremacist ideology for over 100 years in the South. And it's clearly not over. Um, as we can see the same tactics being used most blatantly in Florida and in Tennessee and Texas with laws and policies that discriminate against whole classes of marginalized people, um, black people, LGBTQ folks, immigrants, women, based on lies about those people that lead to fear and panic and unfortunately often violence. And that stands in direct opposition of my desire and that of so many of us Southerners, that we be a place for people of all kinds to flourish and belong and be who they truly are. So if you listened to my episode last week with my friend Sue Joe, who designed the Magnolia on the new Mississippi state flag, you heard her talk about the process that they went through to choose the new flag um, in 2020 and 2021. And we also talked a little about what triggered Mississippi to finally remove the Confederate flag emblem from the official Mississippi state flag. And the fact that before that happened, um, many of our city governments and universities and other institutions that traditionally do fly a state flag had chosen not to fly that flag for quite some time because there was a feeling among many of us that it wasn't an appropriate symbol to represent the people of our state. So in one way, when I think about the state flag, I, I'm like, OK, good. That was such a divisive issue for so long. And now it's over. Let's move on. And some of you may be thinking that, like, why do we need another episode on the flag? So this really isn't about the flag. The reason that I'm talking about it again today is not so much the flag itself. Um, I don't want to rehash all the arguments for why it was a great idea to change the flag. But what I do want to talk about is the deliberate campaign, not just in Mississippi, but in basically all the southern states, to tell a different version of history than the truth. Alternative facts, you could say, to convince generations of Southerners that something different happened during the Civil War and Reconstruction than the actual verifiable truth. And I don't think most of us realize, and I know I didn't until recently, just how blatantly open 
the campaign to rewrite history was. You may have heard of the legend of the lost cause or the lost cause doctrine. Um, And if you haven't heard that term specifically, if you live in the South, you know what it is. It's this idea that the Civil War wasn't fought over slavery. It was fought to defend the South's honor against an oppressive Union government that was uncivilized, that the Northerners lied and exaggerated about the South, and what the South had actually done was to protect and elevate the slaves, to give them opportunities they wouldn't have had if they hadn't been abducted from their homes and torn away from their families and had all their autonomy taken away. So the first time the term lost cause was used uh, was in a book written in 1866, right after the Civil War, by a man named Edward Pollard, who was an author in Virginia. And the name of his book was The Lost Cause, A New Southern History of the War of the Confederates. And he basically told the story of the Civil War from this perspective that slavery was really, he called it mild. What a word to use, right? And um, you can imagine why this happened, right? You have this group of people who are used to being in absolute power, holding all the wealth, and they have been trounced. And there is so much cognitive dissonance involved that if they admit the truth, it blows up their whole identities, their whole world, whole worldview. They have uh, thought that their etiquette and their courteousness, their gentility and their civilized society was proof that they were the good ones, the right ones, despite the hideousness of slavery. And they just can't cope with the truth. And they can't cope with their children knowing the truth. So they invent a different story. And that story continues to be told as the dominant narrative in a lot of places in the South, even now, even if it isn't the official story anymore. So here is where the archivists and librarians and historians come in. They are so much more powerful than we give them credit for. And here's one example. In 1901, so this is, you know, 30 some odd years after the Civil War, so a generation later. The first state in the United States establishes an official State Department of Archives and History. And what state was that? Alabama. And in 1902, Mississippi followed suit. So when my daughter told me about that, I thought, oh, that's kind of suspicious. First, it was surprising uh, to me just that no other states had an Archives and History Department before this, nor did the U.S. government. Um, But what were Mississippi and Alabama up to? Well, in Mississippi, where I live and have lived all my life, there was a group of white elites, planter elites, um, in the Mississippi Historical Society that sought uh, creation of an official State Department with the stated purpose of, quote, promoting and protecting Southern identity through acquisition and preservation of historical records, especially those pertaining to the American Civil War. Unquote. The first director of that department was a Mr. Dunbar Rowland, who served in the position for 35 years from 1902 until 1937. He was a lawyer, not a historian. Uh, history was a hobby for him, but he was very outspoken about the need to preserve Confederate history and to commemorate what he called, quote, the sacrifice of Mississippi soldiers during the American Civil War, unquote. He also had this view that 
history was created by the writing of the history. Um, and he wrote volumes on the Confederate president, Jefferson Davis, and how he was a constitutionalist. He wrote this book about race relations in the South in the 19-teens, kind of explaining away and talking about what, you know, what a great and, you know, resilient people the white Southerners were. So he had won the position of directorship of the Department of Archives and History over a man who was considerably more qualified for the job. He was a Johns Hopkins trained PhD historian. He had written scholarly articles about things like the taxation history of Mississippi and things that you would expect from a historian. He had not come from the white planter elite, but Roland was chosen over him despite his qualifications. So the Mississippi Department of Archives and History proceeded to document and preserve officially this view of the Civil War and of slavery that persisted through the years. In um, 1913, Rowland published an article in the Suwannee Review called Slavery in Mississippi, where he claims to have a clear perspective because it's been 50 years since the war. And now we can all look back and see that slavery would just really wasn't that big of a deal. That basically the land here in the South and the African slaves were just made for each other. And I stopped reading there because it was gross. Um, but the, the department specifically preserved documents that supported the lost cause and neglected to preserve records and artifacts that were unrelated or contradictory. So there's a lot of history that was not preserved on purpose. And one of the things that my daughter is working on in her senior thesis is to see if local archives, like kind of smaller um, city and county archives, may have preserved some of this information that wasn't preserved on a state level. So not long before Roland took control of the new department, the state adopted a flag for the first time, and it was the same flag that flew until 2021 with the Confederate battle flag in the corner. Um, this was in 1894, decades after the Civil War. So why, why were they doing that then? Well, it was because a lot of Confederate soldiers were dying off, and the governor asked the state legislature to establish a state flag as, quote, an act of patriotism and state pride, unquote. Patriotism to a dead Confederacy. Um, decades after that, even after the Civil Rights Movement of the 1960s, the textbooks in Mississippi, influenced by this um, this legend of the lost cause and supported by the Department of Archives and History, textbooks for school children in Mississippi were still telling the story even into the 1980s. So when I was in school learning Mississippi history, it was basically just a white history. I heard about the civil rights movement in bits and pieces from like TV and things. And I remember learning the term carpetbagger, but that is about it. Um, so I graduated high school in 1994 without any formal instruction about the civil rights movement or without any real um, instruction about the truth of the Civil War. So when I got to college and started becoming more aware of the history that was all around me, I realized how much had been left out. My oldest daughter was born in 2001. So when she gets to high school and she's learning all this stuff, um, you know, I don't know if that's because of the particular school she attended. I I'm assuming that a lot more of this is taught now. And what I've read is that the textbooks 
have definitely changed. There's still room for improvement, but there is a much more truthful account of not only the Civil War, but the Civil Rights Movement. So you guys tell me, um, when you were in school, if you were in school in the South, what did you learn about the Civil War and the Civil Rights Movement? And kind of when were you in school? I'm really, really curious to hear about that. But clearly, the idea of the lost cause is so much easier to perpetuate in a group of people that don't know the real history. And so as horrible as all that is and mixed up, I've got such a hope in the um, the millennials and the Gen Z folks, like my kids' ages, because they care about this stuff and they've been taught about it. And they're getting to the point in their lives where they're really starting to make a difference and some movement faster in these areas. So it's no wonder that in 2001, you know, 22 years ago, when there was a special election allowing Mississippians to decide whether to replace the old flag with a new flag, over 60% of those people chose to keep the flag. So at that point, it had only been 10 years that the real history was even starting to be taught in schools in Mississippi. It took until 2020, under pressure from the NCAA and the SEC in the wake of George Floyd, to convince the state legislature to vote to change the flag. So sports was the reason. (laughs) The religion of sports in the South is a whole other conversation for another day. But so what does all this have to do with belonging in the South? Why talk about it here? Well, you've probably already started to connect the dots and see where I'm going. You remember that belonging requires telling the truth about ourselves. So if we aren't honest about ourselves, we'll never truly be known. And on the other side of that is that if we don't tell the truth about others, or if we allow others to tell lies about themselves or others, the ability to have community and belonging is at risk. It's our job when we are able to tell the truth and to hold other people accountable to the truth, even when it's painful, because lies corrupt. At some point, there are people who believe the lies and they don't even know their lies. Then generations later, like now, when people are trying to right the wrongs and correct the history, things like Florida happen in reaction. People not being able to handle the truth, wanting passionately, violently to change things back the way they were, because those people had a lot of power, and they feel like they're being discriminated against and persecuted when really things are just being set to rights. And the last point I wanted to make, um, which is kind of tangentially related here, came to me while I was listening recently to an episode of the We Can Do Hard Things podcast, uh, their episode about etiquette and manners. And it was it was so pertinent to this. They talked about how the origin of the word etiquette is the same as the origin of the word ticket. And courteous, the root of that word is court, and it comes from the behaviors that were required for someone to be in the presence of royalty at the royal court. They were behaviors that signaled a certain privilege, like a code that you learned. And those behaviors became synonymous with being good and right. They were used as permission for heinous acts against other groups of people because those people were barbarians who did not have courtesy and etiquette. They were uncivilized and they needed to be civilized. This was part of the rationale that white slave traders used to justify abducting Africans into chattel slavery. I think I mentioned in another episode that the South is what's called a high-context society, 
which means there are a lot of contextual clues and little rules and things that signal social status and privilege. And that's just another way of saying that they have complex etiquette that can be used to discriminate, to feel superior, to justify acts of violence against other people who don't follow those same rules, who maybe never were taught those rules. On that episode of We Can Do Hard Things, they distinguished between etiquette and manners, with manners being the things that you do when you're with other people to show kindness and respect without there being a sense of hierarchy about it. And then the etiquette being that thing where it's just a set of rules that don't really serve any real purpose in and of themselves other than signaling to other people that you know the code, that you're civilized. So as you go through your life, Um, these next few days or weeks, notice if you tend to judge people on behaviors that might just be etiquette and not manners. I know that I've I've done that before and um, am learning to stop myself from judging other people about those things and more on more on manners, just our character and how we treat other people with respect and kindness. So I wanted to give you that bit of history today in this kind of shorter episode. And uh, to say thank you. Thank you for listening. I hope that you'll share with your friends and anyone else you think might be interested in hearing about this. And I will see you next time with another amazing story from an amazing Southerner that you're going to really enjoy getting to know. If this show has meant something to you or you got some value from it, I hope that you'll help me out by scrolling up and tapping that plus sign to subscribe if you're on Apple Podcasts or click follow. And then you'll get upcoming episodes automatically in your feed. And then scroll down and leave me a a review. Um, It makes a huge difference in the visibility of the podcast to to have those things. So let's me get uh, the podcast in more ears. Also, if you or someone you know would be a great guest, you think? Go to belongingintheSouth.com and in the menu at the top, fill out the guest nomination form. And lastly, I've opened up a Facebook group for fans of the podcast to discuss the topics that I'm covering Uh, to get feedback and make connections with cool people. You can search for the Belonging in the South group or click the link in the show notes. And I would love to see you there. Much love until next time.